Welcome to Cardboard Philosophy, the board game podcast where we talk about nothing serious, seriously. Each episode, we randomly pick from a list of niche, deep board game topics and have at it. So we invite you to join us at the table, listen in on our conversations, and let us know what you think. Welcome back. This is episode six. Yeah. Pretty sure. Six. Ooh. Episode six. We're doing it. All right. Let's go. I am Steven. We got Robert and Evan. We do. We're ready to talk about board games again. We are. And let's let's roll. Let's see what we got. All right. We got a eight, which is, is there a right way to teach a game? And this is a Robert topic, so I'll let him take it. Yeah. So as Steve said, is there a right way to teach a game? But more broadly, the questions I want to talk about are, how do we approach a teach? And do we approach it the same way for each game? Why or why not? Do we generally approach all teachers following the same general guidelines? If so, what are they? What kind of preparation should a teacher do? What is a good board game teacher? All of these questions that focus around how to teach a game well. I think what's interesting about the teach just right off the hop isn't so much what makes a good teach, but what makes a bad teach. Because I think you can really delineate what makes a good teach from there. Uh, And I find a bad teach is very unorganized and disjointed where it's like we're kind of moving around the board and we're moving around the different like, you know, this is your tableau. Oh, back to the board. This is your tableau. Oh, back to the board. Because usually the person teaching has some level of familiarity with the game, whether that they've played it before, they've read the rules, they've seen the board. But something that's really easy to forget is that this is probably the first time most people sitting around the table have actually seen all this together. And so to just throw around a bunch of proper nouns and point at things can get really confusing and you can lose your audience really fast. Yes, I think Mm -hmm. a bad teacher will focus on what what is difficult for them to understand or where they got caught up and can't kind of empathize and understand that this person is looking at it for the very first time and those minutiae, those details really don't matter at all. When they have those questions, they will address them. So I think I think you're right that it's very obvious when a teach is going poorly and you can use that to learn on how to do better. I was taught this thing in, by a drawing teacher about working from general to specific. Yes. And I find that that applies in just most of life or a lot of things. And I think this is one of those cases of like, I try to do that in my teaches where I'll start from like, and I know a lot of people will say like, start with how to win the game or like why you're even here or like what is the objective of all of this and i know a lot of rule books will sometimes start with like the theme and then they'll start with an overview or the you know a lot of rule books will to do to some degree do that um some better than others but to me that's where i at least start is trying to start with like okay high level this is what we're doing this is what you want to this is what you care about like high level yep and that way as I get into the more detailed stuff, you have a, a framework to slot all this new stuff into. Yeah, I think, I think that's a great point. Uh, general to specific is definitely the way to go. And I think a reason that people might have trouble with that is because when making general statements, you are almost necessarily lying about some specific. Like you might say, these are your workers, you spend them, and then they come back to you. But you know in the back of your head, like there's two worker types that break this rule, and then there is maybe some gut instinct to be like, but that's not totally true because there's these two workers. It's like, no, no, you're going too specific now. Just lie to them. I think lying is a very useful tool in teaching and people don't realize it, but we've been lied to our whole lives when being taught. Like when you're in like third grade math, you're like, yeah, you can't divide by a negative. And then you learn how to do that. Or you can't take the square root (laughs) of a negative. And then you learn how to do it. 
But if you if you told everybody every single exception and every single detail, it would just be a complete mess. So not just general to specific, but it's okay if you're lying in your general statements. That's fine. You will correct them later, and it'll be much easier to follow you if you really keep to that core principle uh, that Steve is talking about. I think it's also easier to remember if you've been lied to because when you say, hey, remember earlier when I said you can't divide by a negative? I lied. Everyone's going to remember that rule afterward because it's like, you lied to me. There's that (laughs) emotional response of how dare you. Also, those are often the important rules that make you go like, oh, cool. Right. The rule breakers are often the coolest like things of a game. And so, yeah, it'll sink in much better that way. Oh, that's kind of interesting. Like in a way that highlights what makes that exception so weird and different. Yeah. You know, Um, yeah. I also think of, again, drawing when you're like drawing something in the general to specific way, you usually will start with a very big basic shape, like a circle or a square. And then as you add details, you go back and erase some of those original lines. You know what I mean? Like those are just starting framework scaffoldings. And so I think that's kind of what you're getting at is like you start with, okay, your turn mostly works like this and this and this and you put them out. But sometimes it's a little different and you take some of that back. Yeah. And specifically, like, in terms of turn structure, I think it's very easy to take the player aid and be like, here are the five steps on your turn, one to five, when really 95% of your turns are like, play a tile, take a tile. And you just like, you should just lie and be like, your turn is play a tile, take a tile. Talk about that for most of the teach and then be like, okay, here's your player aid. Actually, I will often not give player aids until the very end of a teach. Because I think if I give them the player aid, it's like a lot of information at once. And then they're just reading that instead of listening to me. And it creates this like like um, uh, what's the name of the thing that you use to support yourself when you've broken a leg? A splint. Crutch. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it creates a crutch. Uh, the player becomes a crutch that people try to lean on too hard, and it can't support all the the weight of the rules. Um, so I actually huh. think hiding the player in until later, until they know the rules, is is a good thing. No, I don't have an example. I feel it, it's it's funny you say that because I feel like I've almost done the opposite where I will use the player aid as like my, okay, we're going to go through this and like I'm going to give you this yeah. at the end, but I'm going to explain what all of this junk means first and like kind of go in that order. That way, when they have that later, they remember what lines up to what. But I think that's an interesting point. So maybe that's mm-hmm. one of those cases of maybe it depends on the game yes. or it depends on how good the player aid is or, mm-hmm. you know, different yeah, it just depends. I think it's definitely game specific. Yeah, it's not it's not a general principle, but for the more more complicated mm-hmm. games, certainly I think the player aid can be too much. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. No, I think that's a good point. I also tend to use the player aid as like a teaching aid, but I do it just so that people know where to then find that information later. So that when I get a question, I can be like, Yeah. And if you want to look at the player aid and just kind of like read along with them later in the game. But I think that's a good point where it's like if it's a really complex game and there's a wall of text, your natural inclination is going to be, I'm going to read this even though Evan's talking and then I will miss everything he says because I'm reading this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be fun if we all described our, like a vague teach, kind of like the outline of a teach, and then we pointed out differences between us. Okay. And those okay. led to talking points. How do we feel about that? Who wants to go first? Let's try it. So yeah, I will usually try to work general to specific. I will start with what, how the game ends or how you win or what the goal is and then try to work backwards from there and be like, okay, this is how you win. You win by getting the most points. How do you get points? Well, you're going to get points by generally playing workers, doing stuff, fulfilling contracts. Those will get you points. Okay. Riveting game. 
yeah, what are, you know, how do you put workers out? What are the different kinds? What are the different contracts? You know, then you start getting into some of the more detailed stuff. That's the high level, I think. Um, I don't know that I have much more structure or rules for myself beyond that. So I'm very curious to hear what, what, how you guys describe your process. So for me, I'm very similar in that I will always start off with what it is we're working toward and how you win. Because for my group specifically, um, I, I originally started teaching that stuff like towards the middle or towards the end of the teach, but I found that they were just missing it. Um, and so like halfway through the game, they go, wait, how do I win again? It's like, okay, I, I need to move this up in the teach because otherwise people are doing one thing half the game and then like missing. So I'll usually start out with just a quick, hey, you know, we're going to be winning this um, with points. And the way that we get those points is by doing this. But I don't really want to talk about that right now. Let's focus on this aspect instead because that's going to be most of the actions. Um, and so I'll try to uh, reference things that I'm going to come back to. Um, and then the other thing that I try to do a lot is work either jokes into the teach for things that I want people to remember, or I will work in like, Hey, this is going to sound super complicated, but it's super simple. Uh, all we have to do is blank. Um, because I feel like it can feel a little bit daunting, especially on a heavier game to say, okay, guys, let's tuck into this. And it's, you know, there's going to be all like, you're going to. Um, build here and then that's going to cause these uh, cubes to move into this circle and then if you build again it moves into this circle and then you can spend the cubes when they're in this circle like there's all those sorts of little minutiae and so knowing when and when not to use proper nouns I think also really helps because the game is probably going to refer to a lot of its mechanics as a proper noun but the player is probably going to refer to it as cash or bucks or you know mm. purple cubes or whatever and so knowing when it's in, when to call it by its yeah. proper name and when not to, I think also really helps or calling it by its proper name and saying, we're probably never going to call it that though. We'll call them like bonus bucks or whatever. That reminds me of a point that I did not make. I don't have a specific place where it fits into the teach. It kind of depends on the game, but I almost will always try to find a way to explain the theme because mm. I feel like that usually, at least in a lot of games, will kind of give you some direction for a lot of the rules. Maybe not always, and again, it depends, but sometimes it can be even more confusing, but um, yeah. Yeah, I think my approach is pretty similar to, to both of yours, maybe, maybe a combination of them. But yeah, I'll also start saying, this is who we are. So like if we're doing bus, I would say we are all running competing bus companies. And then I will describe what the objective is, which is you know to win, and this is how you win. And then I try to build backwards from there, and I think it's very easy to try to explain things in chronological order like the order they will happen in during the game but very often that is a bad way to explain it logically so like in bus the action that scores you points is like the sixth action down the list of actions you will run through chronologically you go through like you know action one through eight and action six and seven are the ones where the points are so i will explain those first i will say i'll let them know um you know the round structure is like this we take a turn there's two phases you place the workers and then you do the actions and then I'll, I'll briefly explain those. Um, but then I'll say, I'm going to tell you about these two actions first, because this is how you score points, and in fact, is the only way you score points. So once we know this, you'll understand why to do the other five above it. So the player aid of a game or the you know, board itself might have things listed out in an order that is mechanically functional and makes sense. Um, but I try to be very careful and intentional about the order I teach things in. Often there's like that setup round or the, like the first step of your turn like doesn't make sense if you haven't played the game or haven't taken a turn yet. It's like something that has to do with your previous action. So you need to explain that last when it does make sense. 
Mm-hmm. And I like the point that Evan made about being careful about terminology. I definitely am not very careful about it. Um, unless the game has like cards and stuff that will reference it a lot, you know, like if there's like contracts and it's like for every three, um, aptitude points and instead I've been calling them red track, you know, like then Mm -hmm. it kind of matters. Um, so I think it's really important to to be careful, to be careful there. And the, the final thing that I really pay attention to is to constantly check in because in teaching as soon as your student, so to speak, has missed something, there's a gap somewhere everything that follows will be utter nonsense to them. So there mm-hmm. cannot be gaps. It doesn't matter how well you explain, you know, step three. If step two doesn't make sense, it's over. Yeah. So like after every important step, there's always a check and like, does that make sense to you guys? And I try to be very reassuring and let them know that they can ask questions. It's not stupid. Um, just please ask questions. Mm-hmm. And getting that constant feedback helps me know what I should be focusing on, what I shouldn't be focusing on. Because if I can tell that the, the person gets it, I can kind of move on a bit. So... Uh, the big difference for me from what you guys said, maybe you do it, but just to to highlight is checking in and making sure there's no gaps. No, that's an excellent point yeah. to make. And I, I think you're right that I I do kind of just intuitively do that a little bit. Um, yeah. Or I, I sure hope I do. <laughs> I think I do. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's like, or kind of like what you're saying, like really making sure, like not only just saying like, makes sense, you know, but kind of like you said, reassuring and really making sure like, you, you know that everything makes sense and clicked and kind of like i think one of you guys said it at the top like trying to empathize with this is their first time hearing all of this and yeah. that can be really hard to like remove yourself from your knowledge of knowing it all and putting yourself back in that this is the first time yeah and often it's not even just trying to remember what it was like three days ago when I opened this box and didn't know how to play this game, but like remembering what it was like, you know, years ago when I had only played X number of board games, depending on who I'm, you know, showing it to. So it, yeah, like really making sure that you're not losing them at any point. Definitely important. And I think that's actually one of the bigger challenges for me is I think I probably play the most games of anybody in my group. Uh, not to flex, but uh, <laughs> like it, it's just the nature of like I have a greater investment in the hobby. I have a greater interest in the hobby than a lot of the other people in my group do. And I can very easily forget when I'm, you know, approaching a game like I know what area control is. I know what auction is. I know what like a market is. But for you, you've only ever played one area control game and you never really associated that mechanic or that terminology with the actual game we're playing. And so for me, I can be like, you know, it's just a standard area control game. The more people that you have on the map, the more uh, power that you have in that area. But to somebody that could be like, oh, so like I want lots of people on the map. Like (laughs) maybe that's a little um, (laughs) um, reductive of the person, but like it's very easy to forget to your to your point. Trick taking is a great example where Mm -hmm. you can just go into a game and say, hey, you know, it's a trick taking game. What's that? Yeah, I was I was actually just thinking about that. Like, I have one group in particular with a somebody. I had that where I was like, "All right, it's a trick taking game," and I got like a couple minutes into it, and they they. <laughs> I mean, I I feel like I even did ask. Like, we all know what that means, and apparently, like, I did not pause long enough because we got about halfway through the teacher. They were like, "Okay, wait, we need to back up." <laughs> <laughs> that that reminds me of yeah two important points that uh, I should have said in, in my rundown of how I teach. The the first thing is I don't use any jargon ever. Mm. Like, even if it's with gamers, I just, well, if it's like all hardcore gamers, I know for a fact they know what work replacement means, then sure. But usually I'm not playing with gamers. I'm the one with the games. I play with friends and family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so no jargon ever. And I think 
even with gamers, it's not obviously helpful because, you know, worker placement is worker placement, sure, but it's not so difficult to just say you place your worker there and do the action, like, you know, just to be yeah. clear and make sure they understand it. Instead of them being like, wait, so is this like Agricola or is this like Architect? It's like, no, I'll just tell you. Yeah. Um, and the second thing is remembering what it's like to be looking at this stuff for the first time. The thing that I do pretty early on is try to make everything on the in front of them seem less scary. Mm-hmm. So I'll say, like, before we really start about what we're, what we're doing, here's a map. It's just a map of the world. That's it. Just a map. Nothing there. The stuff around the outside, you know, this is um, some tracks that I'll talk about, but they're not complicated. You'll understand them. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. Um, I might even mention, like, they, they have to do with how you get points, you know? And then I'll say, in front of you, you just have a place to store your resources. It looks really big and complicated, but you're just going to track what resources you have. You know, things like stone and gold and stuff like that. But I'll let you know how that all works, so don't be afraid. You know, mm-hmm. stuff like this is like reassuring, letting them know that what they're looking at, while currently is hieroglyphics, in 30 minutes will not be. And just making them not afraid or not feel stupid is also a, a part of my teach rundown or my general structure. The other thing that you do specifically that I've always really liked and have never really been able to emulate as well as you do, because uh, I have tried to steal this, is you will reference something coming up and then but like repeatedly and the way that you do it, it gets you excited to learn about that specific thing. So like, I think Stevenson's rocket, you did that really well on where it's like, Oh, you know, you can veto, but we'll get to that in a minute. And then like the next sentence you end, you like, you explain another rule and say, which would, you know, be impacted by a veto, but don't worry about that right now. And then when you get to the veto, it's like, Oh, this is the big veto thing that we've been waiting for. Hmm. Yeah, I think just reinforcement is also good. It's, I think it's it's really easy to just be like, I'm going to tell you about how Vito works in a vacuum, and then we'll move on to everything else. But reinforcing and constantly using those terms to make those terms comfortable uh, for the person learning is is very is very useful. And in that process of going general to specific, constantly referencing the same thing as it becomes more specific helps reinforce that concept and make them remember it. Because the general ideas in any game usually are not so bad place a worker take the action most people could understand that there's something that you said a couple of minutes ago robert that i kind of want to circle back to and i don't even remember what it was i just remember the kind of game that it made me think of and i think through the desert is a great example of this sort of mechanic where it's kind of like you're you're playing two separate games because to me through the desert feels like it's split into two sections you have the first section where everyone's going around placing their camels then you have the second section where everyone is now building their roots yeah to an extent, Anachrony also does that sort of thing where you're placing workers and then halfway through the game, something changes. How do you guys go about approaching a game like that where at a certain point, it kind of switches your MO, I guess, or the way that you're going to be interacting with the game? Do you like tease that? Do you go into the weeds with that? How do you approach that? Well, and through the desert, I don't even mention that until it's time to do it. So I'll just like, like during the teach, I'll just put the leaders on the board and then I'll teach it as though the leaders were just there. I'll just be like, yeah, your leaders will be set up. I'll, we'll get there later, but just pretend they're, they're here already. And then by the time the teach is over, I'll say, okay, here's how we actually start the game. We have this leader placement phase and then mm-hmm. we just do it. I don't mention it until then because it doesn't matter until then. Um, so I think it's really game dependent on like, does this matter? Like, do I need to know about the two phases before we play? Or could I play phase one without even knowing phase two comes up? Or, or is it okay, for example, to like sprinkle that in later? Is it going to impact their first five turns to know about phase two in a long game? Probably not. 
So around turn six or seven, I'll say, okay, by the way, this game is played in two phases, and here's what phase two is about. Because it's their first game, nobody's so hardcore that they need to win. So I, I think it's totally fine to leave rules out until you judge that they are. it's the right time to explain them. This kind of segues into something that I was going to get at, which I was sort of thinking about with the trick-taking thing, where I think half of my what I mistake was not checking, like, do we know what trick-taking means? But even once I kind of said, okay, you're going to put the thing down and take the trick, understanding why you do that or the strategy of that can be kind of a different thing. In the last episode, you were talking about cat blues, where you kind of just, there's a almost an unspoken rule in a way of you don't want to meld or make your quartets too early because then you lose a lot of your bidding power. And so what I was getting at is I think there are different types of people. And this is one of those, maybe it depends kind of zones because I think there's some types of people that want to discover those things on their own. And then some types of people where that's just going to frustrate them and turn them off. And they're never going to want to play the game again to learn that figure or, you know, discover that thing sort of similarly sometimes like in a in a game like teaching a little strategy or giving a little hint i know this is a point of contention with some people like some people don't like to be told you know quote unquote how to play the game like they want to figure it out and make their own strategies and a lot of times like i'll say hey just so you know this is what's gonna happen if you do that like play your own game do your own thing i just want to like make it clear that you know what's about to happen and even that can sort of feel like you're sort of pushing them you know (laughs) like nudging them a little bit I think something I'll do, and I'll use um, Age of Steam as an example, is money is very, very, very tight in that game. And so, like, right off the hop, I'll say, hey, listen, money's really, really tight in this. So if you don't think you're going to have enough of it, just, like, take an extra share. Yes, you're losing points, but it's a learning game. Push buttons, pull levers, but you need money to stay afloat. So, like, make sure that you have enough money. Um I feel like that's a good way to make them feel empowered to make their own decision about how much money's enough money but also kind of flag like, hey guys, this is not an easy game if you don't have any money. You will get like dumpstered very quickly. And that's actually the other part of the point I was thinking of is some people, like Robert, you mentioned like, oh, this is a first game. It's a learning game, like no big deal. Some people do not, I feel like, like I am very much that kind of person. I treat a first game as like, all right, we're just gonna, this is a this is a throwaway. Like everything, I mean, all games are just yeah imaginary. I was say, whatever. I treat all games as like, throwaway. Yeah, whatever. they're all kind of just yeah. Um, but especially that first game, it's like, well, yeah. obviously, I'm going to make a bunch of mistakes. I've sure. never seen any of this, you know. So, but I think some people take it like very seriously. Like from the very first game, they're like, no, explain to me how all of this is going to work because I do not want to make a mistake. Yeah. Um, so I think kind of learn knowing your audience a little bit and kind of knowing when you can not just i'm not even going to teach you that whole second half because who cares you know like i think some people would be very like wait you didn't explain why i cared about that yeah there's this there's certainly an element of reading the room and we are describing our experiences in the rooms we have been in so if you're in a different room you got to change your approach for sure the the people definitely mm-hmm. matter um so I, I agree with you steve and i also really liked the point that you made about hinting at strategy i really don't like doing that personally it depends on the game for sure there are some games like cat blues where if i it's not a strategy it's like to the point where it's an unwritten rule it's not like this is strategically an option it's just like no no no, you can't do this if you do this your game is screwed but um for example uh in something like raw there still are un- unwritten not unwritten but subtle subtleties and strategy in like when you should bid how much you should value something and to mm-hmm. me the fun of that game is like discovering the valuations 
and it's it's a robust enough game that if somebody does something silly, the game won't break. So you, I think you have to also know the game well and be like, if somebody does something quote unquote silly, will the game just be done for them or will it be a learning experience? And if it's just a learning experience, I don't mention it, especially because like it can make the learner feel more alienated. Like, wow, you know so much more about this than I do. So it just makes mm-hmm. them feel dumber. And then it's just like, they're trying to process the rules and then you're like throwing strategy on top of it, which is like the next step after learning the rules. It's just too much, I think. Yeah. So just let them discover it. Let them have fun with it and only tell them stuff that will break their game if they do. And I think something that I need to work on because I love auction games is when someone is putting like an aggressive bid on something that I val- like I don't see a lot of value in. I will usually say like you're bidding that for that. <laughs> and I look at it as I'm just trying to, you know, either antagonize the table or just kind of add some levity to it. But if this is the first time they're playing it, then that could also seem as like senpai is judging me. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that kind of plays into what you're saying where you have to read the room a little bit. But it, you also have to bear in mind that even if it is a light, easy breezy, no one really cares, you can still make someone feel like they just don't understand the game, even if you're just trying to keep it light and breezy. That's a good point. And I'll usually try to do exactly what robert's saying like if i if i say you're doing that and they look at me like wait should i not i'm like no it's it's okay seriously like like yeah. it's, it's a game just go for it see what happens like let's 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 go yeah so since there's not really like an easy way to bring up our normal impromptu segment i say what is your favorite game to teach oh too many shoot that's really tough can we do like top three favorite games to teach because i could <laughs> i can't list one sure there are no rules and it's our podcast, yeah. so I say why not. It almost makes me want to get into what makes it fun to teach. <laughs> like, I think there's two things that make it fun to teach for me. One is if there's not a lot of rules, like Botswana mm. is a great example mm-hmm. for that, where part of my teach for that is making a joke about, like, there's no rules to this game. So mm. I'm going to teach it in a breath. And that's very novel and it's very flashy but that sticks with people when it's like they're trying to make a decision and they're thinking oh you know is there a rule that i miss it's like no there's no rule like we we learn the rules in a breath Mm -hmm. um and i think the other thing is if it's a more complex game making it digestible for someone i find very fun because you're sort of lowering the weight of the game and lowering the barrier of entry to make it more exciting for that person or make it feel more like they're half a game in when they start as opposed to feeling like they're just drowning in a sea of options. Yeah, I mean, it's the reason teaching is rewarding at all, yes. right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if we're talking about why it's fun to teach, so I, I tutor math like on the side and the fun part of it is taking something that for somebody was once impossible, ununderstandable nonsense and turning it into something mm-hmm. they enjoy and they understand, that is mm-hmm. a feeling like no other. Yeah. So it's de- it definitely has to do with yeah. that. So. Uh, there is one complicated game on my list of three favorite games to teach. And if it was if it was five favorite games, three of them would be complicated, but I want to spread it out a bit. Um, and then I'll actually do my least favorite game to teach, just for fun. Because um, it's still a game I like, I just don't like teaching it. Probably my number one favorite game to teach is TI4, Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. <laughs> it is also my favorite game of all time, so that helps, because it means I'm about to play it. But it is so big, so grandiose, just the sheer amount of rules minutia that the fact that I have been able to distill it 
into 45 minutes and i know i just said distill into 45 minutes but <laughs> and and explain it to somebody and see them enjoy it brings me a lot of joy to take something like that and it's also just so cool to look at for people who are into that kind of thing that it's one of the complicated games where people will really be paying attention because it's just cool just the concept of like space opera for eight hours is cool and they'll be listening to me and it's really fun to teach that number two would probably be bus because i i really like that game and i love the moment where i talk about the time machine because everything up to that point is just like straightforward building routes passengers buildings and then i'm like there's also a crazy professor with the time machine that we get to use to break time. And there's so many funky rules, like each bus can only hold one person. You know, stuff like this, that's just like weird and it transports you to that world. So I love teaching bus. And then my number three is Rapido slash Escape, um, the Knizia racing dice push your luck game. Mm-hmm. And that is because the rules are really simple. And so many times after I teach it, somebody's like how has nobody come up with this before you know they're just like this is this is nothing yeah i could come up with this and i'm like "Uh uh-huh yeah sure you could but let's just play and then five minutes later they are laughing they are screaming it just it just goes from this okay i roll dice got it to this is the most fun thing i've ever done you know that's maybe an exaggeration but Mm -hmm. it's just so much fun from from such simple rules uh that i get a big kick out of seeing that internal i guess struggle like the battle of a person going from this is dumb to Wait, no, this is the greatest thing ever. I, I love seeing that happen on their face and, and just the environment it creates. Yeah, I think my favorite teaching moments, which I guess kind of make them my favorite games to teach, but it's a little different, but it, it's that same stuff. Like I remember teaching high society to a group and just having like every person around the table being like, mm-hmm. oh, this is good. Like this is delicious. <laughs> like just the, this, and, and it's kind of what you're saying. Like there's something about when it's so simple and like you explain it and they're like, that's it. And then you start playing and they're like, oh, I see now. <laughs> and, and the light starts going off and like th- that's very fun. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely something fun about breaking a very complicated game down. Um, I think for me, like Root was that for like some friends just because I had, I've had a couple friends who are not gamers or don't play a lot of board games, but they heard of that one and they are like, I saw it, it looks really complicated. And I've heard that like it's asymmetric, so everybody has their own rules and stuff. And so like breaking that one down and being like, yeah, it's really just you move around, you roll some dice, you fight, you know, like it's it's fine. And and well, that's another one where once people start and then they start looking at the other player boards and be like, Oh, okay, this one does that. And I yeah. get, you know, like it's fun to to break down that barrier for people. Um and then party games, I think, kind of for the same reason that the simple ones are fun. I just, I love having a whole group of people and teaching like just one or wavelength or monikers or something and just being like, okay, so we're going to pick a card. You're going to do this thing or like wavelength. It's, it's so fun to like reveal the thing and move the thing and everybody, Ooh, it moves. <laughs> so there's, there's a little toy factory thing there that kind of makes it fun to show it off and just get people excited. So for me, my favorite ones to teach are those ones that just the room just kind of lights up and gets, yeah. gets going. Kind of like what you're saying with like Rapido or, you know, um, the simple ones. We need like a Kanitsia bell whenever somebody mentions a Kanitsia game. Know, we just man. like ring the bell and we don't have to say a Kanitsia game every time. Just, <laughs> there's just a bell. You know what it is. Yeah. I think Steve stole most of mine. Uh, uh-huh. High Society is definitely one that I love to teach. Ring that bell. Ding. <laughs> um, and I love to teach it because of like everyone kind of gets the idea of an auction. 
And so just saying, hey, you know, we're going to be auctioning for these things. But then you throw in the twist of, but you can't take back the stuff that you've bid. You just have to add to it until you pass and then you're out, but you get all your money back. That's a fun little wrinkle to throw in there. But my favorite wrinkle is once you've done everything, you say, oh yeah, by the way, the person who spends the most money loses. Everyone always then looks around at each other like, wait, what? Because everyone's kind of smug like, oh, this is no problem. I got $25,000 in my hand. I'm going to win this. Uh, the other one that I really love to teach is Captain Sonar Ooh. because it's usually like a party game for me. I, I won't play it unless we have eight people yeah. around. And so everyone's usually a little bit rowdy. And I will save the fact that it's happening live until fairly close to the end as one of those mic drop moments of, wait, we're not taking turns? And I've even had people go, hey, are we taking turns in this? And I'll say, no. And they'll go, well, how does it work? Then I say, we all do it live. And they go, wait, what? There's no turns in this? Because taking a turn in a board game is so baked into yeah. the zeitgeist of board games. To pull that away, it's like you've pulled the entire rug out from under your, like, seven people at the table and like the noise that they all make when they find out that it's real time is always so good and then you start <laughs> playing it and then you just hear all these reactions of people trying to like figure out what the heck's going on and i can't draw fast oh i love it yeah. it's so good all right my least favorite game to teach is heat pedal to the metal <laughs> i like the game a lot but there are too many steps and too many little rules for how simple the experience is ultimately yeah mm. That's the part that, that, that's like, that's the opposite reason of why I teach, right? It's like breaking something complicated down to something simple. That feels great. Yeah. But this is like explaining something more complicatedly than it needs to be for how simple the game actually is. That like really bugs me. Because it takes me like 15 minutes probably. And I'm like, I wish, I feel like I could do this in five. I just can't because there's too many little things happening. Mm -hmm. And every time I teach it, I want to use like all the extra modules it comes with. But that's just more extra little rules for people to remember. And it's got like an unintuitive flow that means the first like lap you take, it's a two-lap race. The first lap is a little clunky for everybody. But then once people get in the groove of it, it feels like the rules are really five minutes long. But the problem is that they aren't in reality. And that just always bugs me, even though I, I really like the game. So that's my least favorite one to teach. I'm going to go with PAX Premier 2nd Edition for mine. Because much like you, I don't think it's actually that complicated of a game. There's just so many edge rules and there's so many like weird little idiosyncrasies to that game where once you get it, it's like, oh, I play a card, I build a thing here, I move a dude, I'm done. But my word, getting to that is like half an hour and I always feel like a bad teacher when I'm explaining yes. that game because no matter what, I'm going to forget some stupid little fringe rule, which is going to make or break somebody else's experience. And yes. I wish there was a better way of teaching it. I'm sure I can just get some pointers from a video that Colt put together, but hasn't happened yet. I actually can't think of my least favorite. And I think it's because I, to me, it's like such a almost like make or break thing. Like a game needs to be kind of easy for me to understand it and learn it and i need mm -hmm. to be able to teach it to somebody else and if i can't do that i'm not going to keep that game <laughs> like i i and so i feel like all of the bad ones i've just like purged from my memory and i don't even think about anymore because <laughs> it's just like i don't want that in my life <laughs> um i mean i can think of some games like uh i don't know i just played played dune imperium the other day and i i like it but i get so frustrated i feel like i still like it's like the dozen times i've played it and i still am pulling out the rule book and reminding myself of like random little like okay how does that one work again or like what does this word mean or what's that icon again <laughs> like i don't know why but something about it doesn't click and it, it it's it, that can be frustrating so just any game that makes me 
have to check the rule book after the third game or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. For what it's worth, there are mechanisms in that game that never actually really get explained in the rule book. They, I think they need a second edition just to clean up some of that weird stuff like we've talked about rough edges in the past like those are things that the developers should have caught on and been like yeah let's clean this up just a hair because as much as i love rough edges in games you're right i feel the exact same way every time we play it it's like what's a fremen bond it's like i don't know let's try to find that one line in the rule book where they just kind of throw aside fremen bond and then you find the line and it says oh it's when another card is in play okay what does in play mean does that mean in my discard <laughs> exactly. in my de- in, yeah i feel like i'm yeah yeah all right i think that's everything right we talked about <laughs> teaching we talked about our favorite ones to teach and then we uh, said dune imperium is not good i'm kidding we did not say that yep uh they both expressed like it well with that I think we've definitely talked about how we like to teach games and the games that we like to teach and not teach. And so I think that seems like a good place to wrap it and call it for now. And thanks again for listening as always. You can always reach out at cardboardphilosophypod at gmail.com. And yeah, thanks for joining us. Until next time. Later. Ciao.